Hey, my name's Kurt. If uh, you don't know me yet, I'd love to get to know you eventually. And um, I'm, they brought me off of the bench for this weekend. So I'm usually not up front here. What's up? I failed to even let you greet each other. It's okay. We're, we're good. Do you guys want to? No, we're good. I'm going to keep going here. Is that cool? I failed. No, you did awesome. You totally rocked that thing. Um, so uh, I'm going to, so I actually have a sermon prepared for today, and I'm really excited um, about it, and I worked really hard on it, and I hope, I really hope that uh, you get something out of it today. I hope that church was meaningful for you in some way, whether it be the worship time, this, the, the announcements, which really was ministry time, which was so, like, gosh, thank you. That was awesome. Whether it be, whatever we do here, we just really hope that you get something out of it. And on top of that, I just wanted to say, tell you that my hope, my hope for, um, this thing is going to drive me nuts. Oh, thank you. You know, some people's kids, huh? Okay. Thanks, Eden. That was really weird. Um, I really do hope that I'm able to somehow today um, put you in front of Jesus. Whether you uh, are just wondering who he is, uh, and maybe for the first time you're at a place in your life where you're like, you know what? I really want to really find out who Jesus is for me in my life. My hope is today that maybe that would happen. Um, we have, we're in the middle of a series, I guess not even in the middle of, we're going to go through the whole book of Mark, and we're only on chapter 2, and it's a series that Wayne started off two weeks ago, it's called the Upside Down Kingdom, and the reason why he is calling it, or we are calling it the Upside Down Kingdom is because there are uh, value systems of this world, and there are value systems uh, of uh, God's kingdom, and they're kind of different. And that's why we're calling it Upside Down. So can I give you an example? Can you guys hear me? Am I echoey? Am I good? Is my shirt straight and stuff here? So Upside Down Kingdom is, uh, in our world, kind of the value system is what it says is to be something or to be great, you have to, there's lots of different ladders to climb in life, right? You have to achieve and work hard and do things. And then you become you become great, right? And that's what our world says. Um, one of the things that Jesus says, he says, well, actually, um, to be first, you know, uh, or to be number one or whatever, you actually have to be last. That's completely opposite of what the world tells us, right? On one side, you're hearing to be first, you have to, like, really work hard and do a lot of great things and, you know, make a lot of good choices. And maybe there's some... Uh, luck involved with that, the world would say, and, you know, being at the right place at the right time, whatever. And then, uh, on the other hand, Jesus is saying, actually, um, be last, right? Another one uh, is, um, or actually, I could, I could keep going and going on that, but the, the, you get the idea is that there's this, there's two different things going on here. There's what the world says and what Jesus says, and they're kind of at odds with each other a lot of times. Jesus says a lot of things that are kind of crazy. We're going to read about some of them today. Before I do that, I'm going to start with a personal story 
Um, I've got a lot of Bible reading. We usually stand up for Bible reading time. You might, I might be asking you to stand up for too long. So I'm going to, we're going to stand up for a little bit during Bible reading time, okay? But not, not quite yet. Love you. I love that. That was awesome. Not quite yet. Start with the story. Um, hey, who's going to go on family vacation this summer? Who, who's like not sure if they, it's going to work out? Okay, so just can I just give you, this is a side note, okay? It's not part of the sermon. But I read an article years ago, and it said it was a study that they did on adults. And they asked all these adults, hey, what was the most memorable thing? What was one of the most influential things for you? Great memories from your whole life. And they found that the family vacation was the most, everybody had the most memories of the family vacation. And we all know that we don't do that all year, right? It's just like a little piece, and sometimes you kind of, it doesn't like work out, right? But so what I'm saying here is, is don't give up on the family vacation, okay? We're getting close to that. <laughs> we're, we're trying to find somewhere to go, and everything's booked, and our schedules got all crazy and stuff. But I'm going to tell you a story about a family vacation from my childhood this morning. Um, when I, I think I was around 10 years old. And um, we went to my grandma's house in North Dakota. Her name was Grandma Gertrude. And so um, grandparents have different rules, right, than like parents do. And so one of the things about grandma's house was uh, we could have sugar. (laughs) And so we remember grandma's table, it was for breakfast, it was formally placed, like placemats, the bowl, the cup was on this side, you know, like all the, all the utensils were out, you know, it was like all the silverware were out, and you had to go through and set, and if you didn't do it right, she would correct you, and like there was a system, and like everything was, and you know, for this, we used the blue willow, and for this, we used the, you know, don't touch those dishes right now, because those are for dinner, you know, and yeah, and, and so here, can you hold that a second? Thanks. And so the whole idea here is that Grandma Gertrude was kind of stiff, but she was really cool too because she would pour the flake, the corn, the corn flake cereal, and then she'd, she'd like grab the spoon, and it was like a heaping <laughs> serving of sugar. And she's like, you want some, you want sugar? And... Us Lincoln kids were like, we didn't know what to say because we were like, we're not supposed to have sugar, you know? Like, my mom owns a bakery, but we can't have sugar on our cereal. And it was like, and, and, we, and she was like, well, do you want some sugar? And we'd be like, yeah. And then she's like, another one? And we'd be like, yeah. And so that was Grandma Gertrude growing up. And it was this wonderful, you know, experience with Grandma Gertrude, but she was also very stern. Like her name was fitting for her. She was, she was strong, but she was also very loving and kind. So one day, um, this is a story about my younger brother, Matt. We were at, I uh, can't remember if it was lunch or dinner. It wasn't breakfast. Matt wasn't going to finish whatever it was. Matt seemed to think it was something that had mushrooms in it. He'd probably eat it now, but when he was five years old, he, he was done. And Grandma... Uh, we could tell was not okay with that. 
And, and so there was maybe a little bit of a tension. So she, she, she kind of had gotten to the end of herself. And she said, Matt, and, you know, if you're not going to eat it, get up, go to the toilet, and wash your hands. Matt was like, go to the toilet and wash your hands. Matt got up. He was walking to the bathroom, and he started to, like, cry on the way. And I, and I was kind of the peacemaker, middle child kind of guy, and I was like, I watched my little brother, and I was like, I really loved my little brother, and I watched him go, and I was like, so I was like, can I go check on him? And so I got to get up, go over, and I went, to, I went, and I saw, and Matt was washing his hands in the toilet. <laughs> he was washing his hands in the toilet, and I was like, she didn't, she didn't mean that, you know? But Matt went to the toilet and washed his hands. So, in a similar way, in a very similar way, um, I think that uh, we misunderstand each other, right, in life. Actually, I think that's probably like one of the number one leading causes of conflict. I know that it is in my life. Uh, is when there's a misunderstanding where you maybe you say something, somebody doesn't quite catch it right. Maybe you you kind of motioned wrong when you were talking or something, and it <laughs> misunderstood, right, or whatever. And I think in, a, in another very similar way, sometimes we really misunderstand God. We misunderstand his instructions. And if you really look at it, when we misunderstand somebody, it's usually because we don't understand their intention behind what they're saying, right? And so, um, what I'm going to say is, this is going to kind of be the the theme underneath which we're going to read the word of God today, but it is sometimes we misunderstand God's instructions because we don't understand God's intentions for us. Okay? So sometimes we misunderstand God's instructions because we don't understand God's intentions. <clears throat> All right, so I'm going to read Mark 2:23 through 3:6. I'm going to take a pause in the middle and we're going to jump to 1 Samuel and we're going to get all over the place and get into the word today. So um, if you wouldn't mind uh, standing while I read the first section, I'll allow you to sit because I don't want you to have to stand up for so long. And I'm, I'm just going to read it out of here because I think we got a little thing going on right there. Mark 2, 2.23. And I'm just going to pray really quick. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that your word is living and active. I thank you, God, that your word is perfect and that it is meant for teaching and instructing guiding us and directing us and correcting us. God, right now we um, come underneath your word, we place ourselves underneath your word, and we ask that you would please speak to us through your word this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Mark 2, 23. On the Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? 
He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawfully only for priests to eat. And he gave some, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. You may be seated. Now I'm going to jump over to 1 Samuel 21 through or 21, 1 through 6. So that that verse just talked about another Bible verse. So there's these guys that um, were kind of like the, the guys who are really good at following all the rules and looking like they were doing everything right in the church setting. And um, they were following God's instructions, kind of like my little brother was following the instructions of my grandmother. They were following God's instructions, but they really missed it on his intentions. Okay, And so he used an example to them of... Um, an Old Testament writing that they actually really revered, respected, and a person in the Bible who they really revered and respected. And I'm going to read that to you. And I'm going to set the just the setting really quick. Is that King David, this was before he was king. So this is David before he was king. And this is the David of the Bible that um, was the young man who got the slingshot right and and killed Goliath, the big, the big guy who um, everybody was scared of. This is that David. Um, and after that, this is after he had slain um, Goliath, but he had kind of risen in popularity and power. And there was the current king Saul, who was kind of threatened, I would say, by this young popular David, and he was actually wanting to have him killed. So this is like an adventure thrill story, okay? And so I'm going to try to throw a little bit of thrill into my voice for you. So 1 Samuel 21. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is nobody with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me in a certain place. So this is kind of like a secret hiding kind of thing. I told them to meet me in a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. The guy's starving. He's on the run. He's running away from a powerful man that's trying to kill him, okay? He's, he, co- he comes to the, the house of God, right? He comes to the high priest. He's like, do you have something for me to eat? But the priest answered, David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, here are some of the consecrated bread here. Provide, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. 
the men's things are holy and even on missions that are not holy. So he's saying, hey, we keep it, we keep it right, you know, on missions that are not even holy. This is a holy mission. Of course, we're good. We're good for the bread. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except for the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and placed by hot, replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. So I'm going to stop right there. This is so. This is going to be kind of fun, and I'm trying to I'm trying to cram a lot of stuff in here today. If you can't tell, but I really thought it was important to give context to this verse that we just read in um, Mark. And what, what's going on here is, is we've got a man, David, who's in a situation that's not good. The law at the time would have prohibited him from getting that bread. His life was at risk. He needed somebody to help him, right? The priest was there. He had the bread. It was the illegal bread because he couldn't eat it because it was the, it was the consecrated bread. It was the, the bread that was... Um, from the temple, that only that was prohibited for anybody else to eat it. Only the high priest and his family can eat it. And so it was, it was one of those situations where the high priest had to distinguish what the intentions of God was. You get that? He had to distinguish between the 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 letter of the law and the intention, or we could call it, or the spirit of the law. And Jesus called the Pharisees out on this right then and there because he said, Hey, my uh, disciples are walking through a grain field. We're traveling to, um, we're on mission, right? Just like David was on mission. The guys are hungry. It's the Sabbath. We're walking through a grain field. They're just get, getting some grain and we're eating, right? You're okay with David living underneath the intention of the law, but you're not okay with my guy is living underneath the intentions law. Does this make sense to you? We could actually keep going even farther if you wanted to in Deuteronomy, but I don't think I have time today. Nope, I don't. Um, so, I'm going to go back to Mark, starting on chapter 3, and I'm going to read you another instance. So Wayne gave me the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, and I'm going to pick back up in chapter 3. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for reasons to accuse Jesus. So some of them, again, he's referring back to the Pharisees, these guys who were really good at distinguishing what the specific letter of the law was, but they weren't graciously applying the intention of it towards Jesus. So some of them were looking for reasons to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They were trying to catch him to do something wrong, right? And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, speaking to the Pharisees again, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched out, he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. 
Okay, I'm going to stop right there. So, I've got three points. The first thing I want to kind of highlight here is that the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to appear as if he had blatant disregard for the law. They were trying to frame him in a, in a light where they're like, look, he... He, his guys are walking through the field on Sabbath. They really should be sitting down on Sabbath and not walking anywhere. And if they did have to walk somewhere, they should have prepared their food the day before so that they're not doing any work on the Sabbath day. Oh, right? <laughs> Lots of different things that they totally... Um, and so they're trying to say, look, he's disregarding God, and you guys should stop following him. And so what Jesus does is he reminds them that the Sabbath was intended for man. Deuteronomy, he basically is going all the way back to Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. And you can read that one at home. I'm not going to read it to you today, but I'm going to paraphrase it. Is that basically this is when the, when the day of rest was instituted. And, and uh, um, it was said to the people, take a day of rest. Remember that you came out of slavery and that I took, that I, uh, and when you take that day of rest, remember what I did for you. So the intention of the day of rest wasn't so that you wouldn't pull grain off of the, uh, of something when you're walking by, right? The intention of the day of rest was so that you could, I think, physically restore, emotionally restore, right? But it was really so that you could remember God. Because that the, what the intention was, is, and, and what Jesus knew, is that when a person slows down enough to reflect on, on God and who he is, that's where the real rejuvenation happens. That's where the real restoration happens inside of a person. And he knows that. And that's what he was guiding but then these guys, on the other hand, they were doing a great job following the exact rule, but they were totally missing that other part, right? Okay. So. Number two. And I'm, I'm going to try to kind of breeze through this. Um, number two. Note how the disagreements about living within the law quickly escalated in hostility. Even to the point of death. Right? If that tells you anything, right, about about what's going on here, and is that they were trying to hold Jesus underneath uh, the letter of the law, and he was saying, actually, it's about the spirit of the law. And what, uh, the interesting thing is that Jesus didn't break any of the law. Not one of them. Even though it appeared to them that he was like floating dangerously towards the edge and going over the edge, right? He was, he was correcting them. But what this points out is that the problem is, is that the law was impossible to live out. The people could not satisfy the law. Nobody could do it. And there was all these people out there that were saying, nope, you can't do it. You didn't do it right. You couldn't do it. You didn't do it. And there was this really weird um, 
can I use the word vibe? I know that, that has all kinds of different meanings, but it's like it had a, this feeling that you couldn't really, that it's hard to describe, but that is what it was like in the church. That was very much what it was like. And the good news is, is that when these guys had it totally wrong, when these Pharisees had it totally wrong, the religious leaders of that day, Jesus responds in a loving but stern way, and he's trying to move them to this thing called the New Covenant that's described in the Bible, where it's a covenant uh, uh, um, between us and God that's relationship-driven and not rules-driven. Okay? And so he's moving them away from legalism and into relationship. And that's what we need. We need that relationship with God because we can't... Uh, what, what the rules were set out to do, and Paul um, depicts this clearly is that they were to show us our need for a Savior. That we just can't do it on our own, and that we are fully reliant on Jesus. So number three, point number three, and this is the big picture, is that we come to God through knowing Him, not through following rules. This was the common misunderstanding in this day is that they thought that to know God and to be with God meant that you had to follow the rules. But what they were missing was the intention behind the rules. Okay? Now, this is my upside-down kingdom message, okay? You guys ready? Yes. Okay. The world, what the world says... On one side, that uh, uh, the world system says is do better to become significant. You have to do a better job. You have to follow the rules better. You have to stop messing up on that. You have to quit this and that and start this and that. And then you can become something. And if you look at this um, concept... All of the um, other major world religions are about doing to become. Plain and simple. I know that that's a very broad stroke, but that's a, that's a very basic concept. But what the kingdom of God says is come as you are, you are significant. That's the message of the kingdom that is completely opposed to what the world says. Come as you are. You already are significant. Do you agree with me that the misunderstanding that we get at us all the time, the message that we get at, at us all the time, could lead us to a misunderstanding about who God says that we are? Based on that? And that the very functioning of our lives is based on our understanding of who we are. And therefore, we could be operating out of a completely false understanding of who God is. And a totally confused worldview about who we are and who God is and what he wants from us. 
So, I'm going to have a little, as we close, saying, if you want to come on up, Miss Eden, pretty please. And I'm going to say it again. Is that often, we often misunderstand God because we misunderstand His intentions. person I can't be who you're calling me to be and he just says come as you are I just love you to death 